When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Like, not to harp on love, actually, but, like, the idea that the best man at your wedding, like, your husband's best friend, that, like, it's cute for him to be obsessed with you, shoot your wedding video, and only do close-ups of you so oh, that, God, yeah. you know, and then come to your house and, like, do the thing with the signs, which is the real pandemic, Remember when everyone was, do was doing that? Um. <laughs> I, lady, Kristen, I love rom-coms. Oh, me too. Me too. What is in the Caroline Criterion rom-com canon? <laughs> well, I was practically raised on classics like Sleepless in Seattle, Sixteen Candles, and particularly My Best Friend's Wedding. Oh, my God. My Best Friend's Wedding tore me up as a tween. <laughs> like, okay, I had the hots for Rupert Everett, for one mm. thing. Um, and I totally bought into Julia Roberts's cool girl character. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's fucking diabolical and should mm -hmm. really talk to a therapist about why she attempted to break up her best friend's wedding. But yeah, loved it. <laughs> what about you, though? What kinds of rom-coms were you into growing up? Well, uh, as y'all know, my parents were super strict. So the vast majority of movies I was allowed to watch were like black and white, old school Hollywood stuff, which sounds like a drag. But in the late 1930s and 40s, that was actually considered a golden era for rom-coms. So I was watching lots of fast-talking dames who dazzled men with their wit and eccentricities. Oh, wee. <laughs> Which is probably why I'm a terrible flirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kristen, this is the perfect time for us to be having this conversation. This episode is coming out the week after Thanksgiving, which means it is peak rom-com rewatch season. Like, some TV channel somewhere is probably airing a When Harry Met Sally marathon, like, right now. It's also the perfect time to talk about rom-coms and all of their problematic tropes with today's guest, Lindy West. Lindy is a film critic turned feminist writer turned New York Times opinion columnist. She's also the co-creator and executive producer of the Hulu show Shrill, which is based on her memoir. 
And she recently published an essay collection titled Shit Actually, in which she revisits a bunch of iconic movies to ask, are we allowed to like very imperfect pop culture? It's really hard to to adjust to the idea that maybe we just can't have any things from the past. I mean, obviously, (laughs) people can make new things that maybe succeed in not um, hurting anyone. That would be the dream. But... It's complicated. Just like the Nancy Myers rom-com, it is complicated. <laughs> but does it have to be? Lindy's one of our favorite feminist writers, and she truly appreciates flawed blockbusters, irredeemable Hallmark movies, and retrograde rom-coms just as much as we do. So today, we're talking with Lindy about reconciling our problematic faves, her number one rom-com, and why she maintains that love actually is, to quote the title of her book, shit actually. Lindy's writing is always hilarious and biting, but her first book, Shrill, was also intensely personal. Then her second book, The Witches Are Coming, was intensely political. So when she first pitched the idea for Shit Actually in 2017, Lindy just wanted to make people laugh and give herself a little comic relief, too. I have wanted to do this book for a long time just because this is my most favorite thing to do. It's so fun. Um, Like, I just love watching a movie and writing down all my shit talk and then typing it up and calling it an article. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what a ridiculous thing to get paid to do. And now that I did a whole book of it, I'm like, that's my career now. Just going to write sequels to this book (laughs) till I die. (laughs) Shit actually takes on 23 culturally significant movies, including Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Top Gun, Titanic, and Shawshank Redemption. But today, we're picking Lindy's brain specifically about rom-coms. What is the appeal of the rom-com? Like, why do we tend to love watching them so much? I mean, what's better than rom and com? (laughs) Those are, like, the two best things. Like, I'm a very wimpy person. Like, I don't like to watch anything sad. Real life is sad. I'm already sad all the time. And um, I'm weak in that way. I'm not good at, like, leaning into the feelings and just feeling them. I want to run from them. So that's that's the appeal to me. Like, you know what you're getting. You're getting, like, hot people in a pickle. <laughs> and then they get then they get out of it and then they kiss. That's all I need. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think people crave familiarity and low stakes and, again, hot people and kissing and jokes. That's <laughs> people. I want to go to that party. Hot people and kissing and jokes. <laughs> Parties are, are illegal. Haven't you heard? Yeah, I know. You... It, in the future. <laughs> oh, no. Do you not know about the pandemic? We <laughs> are in Georgia, so... <laughs> Um, So in uh, an op-ed piece that you published in The Times, you wrote about kind of growing up and watching movies and the ways that they demonstrated how what women should yearn for and tolerate from men. And so when it comes to rom-coms specifically, what sorts of things were you were you taught growing up from them that women should learn yearn and tolerate from men 
Um, I feel like you should yearn for any scrap of validation. You know, like, you should yearn for a guy who is infatuated with you and stalks you, but also a guy that is mysterious and ignores you. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally anything on the spectrum is fine, and you should tolerate literally anything as long as there's kissing at the end. I mean, truly, anything short of outright physical or sexual abuse, not to bring it way down. But, you know, I really feel like emotional abuse, very romantic in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> you know, like, um, definitely stalking behaviors were hot, hot stuff. Lindy is spot on. Let's take a quick walk down Creepster Lane, shall we? <laughs> oh my God, let me get my mace. Okay, where do we begin? <laughs> there was Ben Stiller's character Ted in There's Something About Mary. He hired a private investigator to track down his high school prom date. Hey, 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 I'm not a stalker. I'm not a stalker, right? She's a friend of mine. Oh, sure she is. That explains why she's got an unlisted number. And you haven't heard squat from her in 13 years. Yeah, a real chum. And who could forget John Cusack's character in Say Anything, showing up unannounced at his ex-girlfriend's house to try and win her back with a boombox and a Peter Gabriel tape. Ugh, just a tour de force of white male privilege. You know, like, I, I feel like the sort of directive was to turn yourself into a desirable object and then wait for someone to desire you, um, which just actually isn't fulfilling even if you can achieve it and is also not achievable for most people because people have personalities and autonomy and it's actually not pleasant to just sort of be a cipher for men to project their insecurities onto and turn you into a, a haunted doll that cures all their problems. <laughs> well, can we can we flip the gender script here for a minute? Because let's talk about another stalking thriller titled Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> When I was a child, I devoured all of these types of rom-coms. And, you know, Nora Ephron is supposed to be the queen. And I remember loving Sleepless in Seattle. But watching it as an adult, I was fucking horrified. Because, again, like, they don't fucking know each other. And Meg Ryan just decides. She just decides with her long sweater and her long hair <laughs> that she's going to, like, break up her relationship with Bill Pullman. Right? Bill Pullman. And mm -hmm. wow, uh, go fucking stalk Tom Hanks, who's this, like, grieving widower single dad. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, and she, like, ropes in his child. Which yeah, seems what? Like yeah, yeah. Extremely inappropriate. Yeah, actually, speaking of Bill Pullman, um, I have been thinking, people keep asking me uh, on this book tour, like, what's my favorite rom-com? And I've been saying, while you were sleeping, <laughs> which Lindy. is so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and if it was gender swapped, I would absolutely have, I would organize a march. <laughs> But, you know, okay, I don't know. It's Sandy B. It's Sandy B. It's Bill Pullman again. Peter Gallagher. I don't know. I just, 
it's a good movie. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. Uh, look, is it a double standard? Maybe, but not really because of male privilege. Ever heard of it? <laughs> it's okay when we do it. <laughs> and she didn't mean to, you know, end up in his hospital room, you know, posing as his girlfriend. <laughs> it was a mix-up because of his kooky family. I watched that movie. Like, my um, middle school best friend was obsessed with that movie, saw it dozens of times. Anytime we would have a sleepover, that is what we would watch. Um, and in retrospect, like you, Caroline, watching Sleepless now, it's it is it is wild. I I wish my parents had been. My parents were so hyper evangelical, didn't want us to see like any sex or anything. And because there's no fucking, and while you were sleeping. Uh, that was fine, but they were not concerned <laughs> about the, you know, the actual the actual story being told. That is so funny, but it's fine because she's kind of bumbling, you know. So it's just harmless. <laughs> she's pretty right? and she's bumbling. She's she's Sandy B. I'm sure it was an accident. She just tripped and <laughs> fell into the hospital room. <sighs> I know it's I know, and I was like absolutely. Until you said Sleepless in Seattle and you said Gender Swap and then you said Bill Pullman, I was like, had full blinders on. I was like, while you were sleeping is perfect. Don't ever say anything to me about it. No one can talk to me. But now I see that I was wrong. This is a safe space to to have these realizations. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're talking with Lindy about one rom-com in particular, the much-beloved and much hated Love Actually. Don't go anywhere. We're back. And before we get into Love Actually with Lindy West, Caroline, I've got a little guessing game for you that I'm calling Runaway Box Office. Is the answer Julia Roberts? <laughs> yes and no. Uh, so this is coming from Entertainment Weekly's 2019 list of the 15 highest grossing rom-coms of all time. J-Robs is on there twice for Runaway Bride at number nine and Pretty Woman at number four. So question number one, Caroline, can you guess what rom-com comes in at number three? Oh, my God. All right. Highest grossing. Pretty Woman is number four. Okay. Um, and it's not Julia Roberts. Is it When Harry Met Sally? <laughs> no. no. Do you want one more guess? No, just tell me. It's a little 2005 film starring Will Smith, Hitch. Hitch is number three? Yes. Who even watched Hitch? A lot of people. People love Hitch. It's also got Ava Mendez. Do I just dislike Kevin James that much? I think I just dislike Kevin James that much. Yeah, yeah. Kevin James does not matter in Hitch. It's all about Will Smith. Oh, okay. I might need to take you to the red table and we can talk about that more. (laughs) I understand that reference. (laughs) Okay. Runaway box office question number two. And remember, Caroline, we're talking about the 15 highest grossing rom-coms of all time. 
So the oldest movie on that list is Coming to America, which came out in 1988. The most recent rom-com came out in 2018 and is already at number six. Name that rom-com, Caroline. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Is it Crazy Rich Asians? Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Yes. I mean, (laughs) I was so impressed. Like, I knew that it had... Beaten a bunch of records, but already at number six? Fuck yes. Yeah. No, I mean, that movie was everywhere. That was a huge fucking blockbuster, which is impressive for a rom-com. I mean, like, it really... It was a breakout hit, Kristen. (laughs) It was a breakout hit on so many levels. and, And I hope my husband's not listening to this when I say that Henry Golding, take me. Oh, yeah. Calgon, take me away. Okay, okay. Let's let's move on to the last question. I got to spritz myself down. All right. What is the highest grossing rom-com of all time? Fuck. At least according to this list. Okay, okay. Hang on. Uh, Let me work through this. All right. So When Harry Met Sally was not number three. Correct. And you know what? I don't... Like, I love it, and I think it's, like, a huge cultural touchstone, but I also don't think it's the highest grossing of all time. Okay. Okay. Let me think of some popular ones. We've Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. We've already talked about that. Moonstruck, one of my favorites, but definitely didn't make it to number one in terms of highest grossing. Was it uh, There's Something About Mary? No. No! It was I... not There's okay. Something About Mary. This answer shocked me, Caroline. I am still reeling from this. Okay. The number one highest grossing rom-com of all time, at least according to Entertainment Weekly, and I do believe it. Get ready, y'all, because it's my big fat Greek wedding. Oh. Huh. And with that, thank you for playing <laughs> Runaway Box Office. <laughs> and now, Caroline, it's time to talk to Lindy West about one of your least favorite rom-coms of all time. <laughs> yeah, so quick backstory. Early in Lindy's career, she was a writer for Jezebel, and Kristen and I were both big Jezebel heads back then. Lindy's pieces were unmistakable. Her voice was unapologetically feminist, savagely funny, and usually just over it in all caps. One of Lindy's specialties were her rewatch posts. Like, I rewatched Reality Bites, and it's basically a manual for shitheads. And I rewatched Forrest Gump, so no one else ever has to. And then there is the infamous 2013 essay titled, I Rewatched Love Actually and Am Here to Ruin It for All of You. And y'all, as someone who hates, hates Love Actually, I felt so validated reading that. I mean, that movie should be ruined. (laughs) Hot takes, Caroline. (laughs) Like, that probably was one of the most polarizing essays Lindy has ever written. Really? She still gets emails every now and then from people who are like, how dare you hate love actually? And the funny thing is, the first time she saw it, it didn't bother her at all. I remember feeling like, it's fine. (laughs) 
You know, like I saw it when it came out. I probably saw it one other time in my 20s. And it's like cute. And the people in it are cute. And they kiss. And that's nice. (laughs) You know, I feel like that was my criteria as like a 22-year-old or whatever. Do they kiss? Great. (laughs) 10 out of 10. Then, in late 2013, Lindy's editor was like, hey, the Love Actually 10th anniversary is coming up. You should do a rewatch. First of all, it's way easier and more fun to be mean about something than to be thoughtful (laughs) and nice about it. So I did absolutely go into it with a sourpuss attitude, (laughs) and maybe that's unjust. But I don't think I'm wrong. I think it is um, pretty atrocious. You're not wrong. Thanks. Thank you. Um, (laughs) You know— what I discovered when I rewatched it was there's just this like gnawing, cavernous lack of substance at the heart of it. You know, like it's just like, what is this? The whole point of it is just like, yeah, we got 25 movie stars, <laughs> we put them in sweaters, and then we made them kiss, and we absolutely crammed. A million problematic, shitty gender dynamics in every single relationship. And I would love for someone to do some kind of calculation about how many minutes of the film women get to talk and how many (laughs) minutes men get to talk. So curious. It's like a very male-centric movie, absolutely aggressively marketed to women like this is your thing. This is your movie. This is your movie. You love it. You love it. You love it. You love it. And it's like that kind of coercion that I think makes me the most angry, you know? <laughs> you write in that essay that basically the the morality tale of love actually is, quote, the less a woman talks, the more lovable she is. So could you, um, maybe for listeners who either haven't seen it or, or it's been a minute, do you remember any s- certain examples of that? There's like 10 different storylines. But um, I feel like people really love the Colin Firth storyline where he's like a novelist or something. And then he his brother steals his wife because that's a, something you can do with a human being. And so then he has to go to France to type his novel on a typewriter. <laughs> and the old woman of the village brings him... <laughs> A young woman and is like, here, she's your maid now. Good. Oh, I find you a perfect lady to clean the house. This is Aurelia. Ah. Uh, bonjour, Aurelia. Bonjour. And she only speaks Portuguese, and then they can't communicate, and... They just are in a house together for, I don't know, a couple weeks. And then he's like, we're in love. I love her. It's like, you you can't even talk to each other. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) You reference, you also reference, I am currently in the middle of um, a a 90-day fiancé K-hole I can't climb out of. And you you compare the relationship (laughs) to 90-day fiancé, and I was like, that is so spot on. It's true. Yeah, except the relationships on 90-day fiancé have a more valid foundation. Like... (laughs) They have translator apps, at least. Yeah. I believe in those people more um, than Firth and 
Aurelia. And it, I don't know. I, I think it's really – well, I've certainly felt this in my life as, like, a teenage girl especially. This idea that, like, the thing that makes you lovable is to just sort of hang around and be pretty <laughs> is, like – I feel like that was really bad for me to internalize you know, because it was not something I was ever going to accomplish, first of all, like, at least in terms of Western beauty standards or, like, mainstream beauty standards. I wasn't, like, anyone's hot Portuguese nurse or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, a chunky high school kid with stovepipe jeans. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like it's bad. It's bad to reinforce that as romance, like a, a completely like one-sided infatuation with a person who, you know, Colin Firth can just absolutely project whatever personality he wants onto her. And then, okay, so <laughs> that's that one. And then the woman who talks the most, arguably, is Emma Thompson, who is married in the movie to Alan Rickman. And then he dumps her for his secretary, who also never says anything. She just sort of slithers around <laughs> like being a sexy snake in a, in a red sweater. Uh, and anyway, he dumps Emma Thompson for a younger woman and he buys her an ugly necklace and or a bracelet or something. And I understand that the movie probably thinks that it's doing a commentary on women aging out and turning into garbage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's not really because she just ends up alone, which is fine. I'm honestly pro alone, especially in the context of the world of love, actually. But um, it truly feels like she has the most personality and is the most harshly punished for it. And then there's Hugh Grant and Natalie. People love that one. I was just going to say... <laughs> the Hugh Grant Natalie plotline is like the strange science fiction mystery that floats through this film because everybody seems convinced about Natalie being this unfit woman <laughs> in so many different ways. And you refer to it as Natalie dysmorphic disorder. <laughs> yeah, everyone's constantly like, ugh, look at that hog. <laughs> <laughs> You know Natalie, who works here? The chubby girl. Who would we call her chubby? I think there's a pretty sizable ass there, yes, sir. Huge thighs. She's like a very beautiful movie star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is actually literally what she is. She's like not even chunky at all. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. It's very strange. I mean, I guess that's what Hollywood thinks of as fat. She's maybe maybe a size eight. I don't know. Uh, just a real, real chunky monster. I mean, who else was supposed to be fat? Like, I mean, even like Bridget Jones, not fat, just regular, just regular human woman. And we've <laughs> we've finally started. We've kind of shook that, shaken that loose. You know, that idea that anyone over a size four is a walrus. Um, I mean, it just ruins people's lives, you know? Like, well, especially, like, in both of those, Bridget Jones and um, in the case of uh, Natalie and Hugh Grant, like, the fact that the men are attracted to them 
is only just beneficial to the men for the audience. Like, it's supposed to be like, oh, like, we love Colin Firth so much because he actually loves her. And, like, Hugh Grant, the stuttering (laughs) man, like, how good of him. Like, it's, like, the women are, like, constantly, even just, like, their body size is ultimately just serving the men. Right. It's like, oh, my God, he's so brave. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. He's a good guy. And, like, I don't know. I just feel like you're totally right. You know, treating, like, a relationship between an average-looking man and a slightly fat woman as this, like, incredible, inspiring gift that, you know, is supposed to send – fat girls out into the world with a spring in our step. It's, like, just so condescending. It's also just not real. Like, all kinds of people have relationships with all kinds of people. And also, as previously stated, Natalie's not even fat. If she – she is not invited to my fat girl clothing swap. Nothing would fit her. <laughs> She's fine. She's doing fine. <laughs> like, So what has your response been to people having such a strong reaction to your anti-Love Actually essay? It's, again, life is complicated because I do also agree with the people that want me to lighten up and have fun because I do think that it is kind of a crutch to just hate things, you know? And I don't want to be that kind of a writer. I don't know. I think it does kind of... Um, there's something there is something kind of poisonous about just hating everything, you know? And also now that I've made a TV show, I'm like, oh wow, it's really it's really hard to make stuff. <laughs> like people worked really hard on that. Maybe I should chill a little bit. So I try. We're gonna chill a little bit too with a quick break. When we come back, we talk to Lindy about how to enjoy problematic film faves responsibly. Don't go anywhere. We're back with New York Times bestselling author and feminist firebrand Lindy West. So, Lindy, you wrote Shit Actually during a year of cultural reckoning. What was it like revisiting these films during a time when a lot of us are grappling with our problematic faves? Yeah, that's what a lot of what the book is, is like, can we still enjoy these things? What do they mean now? Like, if we've identified that certain people involved are bad or have done bad things, abused their power, abused people, um you know, that is essentially what I'm doing. So it felt important, but also like a big responsibility, like in the moment when everyone's looking for kind of guidance on that and how to navigate that. I don't know, you know, like, and if you scratch the surface of anything that's been made ever, you're going to find exploitation and abuse of power. And so you can't live a pure life. You have to, like, navigate it with some degree of of error. And the answer for me is just sort of a like a gut check. Like, does this piece of media make me feel sick to, to watch it, to support it, to give it my money? 
um, you know, the, the answer is to pay attention to who's making what um, and how they treat other people. And then, yeah, follow your gut. The disavowal is the thing I get stuck on is just like, well, all right, I won't consume this piece of pop culture again. But then what? Like what 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 difference is that? making i don't know (laughs) yeah i mean i i wrote about it a little bit in the uh rush hour chapter in the book because i got halfway through writing it and then i was like wait a minute did brett ratner have a me too what was it Mm. and then i looked it up and i was like oh it's not a good one at all this bad oops so then i had to devote a large section of the chapter to talking about Okay, so if you want to watch Rush Hour, <laughs> but you don't want any of your money to go to Brett Ratner, what do you do? Because, you know, lots of other people worked on Rush Hour who didn't have uh, multiple sexual assault allegations or whatever his thing was. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want us all to let ourselves off the hook because I do think that this reckoning is really important and I think it has a lot of value. But I, I also think that life's really complicated and I think that. You know, there are people who have emotional attachments to things where, like, maybe that's a thing that they need to get through their life, through the pain of their life. And maybe they're a marginalized person who's been harmed in the way that that creator harmed people. You know, like, it's – life is just really, really complicated and three-dimensional. And I also think that it's possible that I'm way off base about this because I do think that – those of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s, and I'm sure before even more intensely, have some degree of, like, Stockholm Syndrome. Like, <laughs> I feel like my whole my whole life was just me watching movies and TV shows with, like, one girl in them, and the girl sucked, <laughs> you know, or, like, didn't get to do anything, was just, like, again, sexually harassed and stuck in the garage and... As a girl growing up watching media like that that really didn't represent me at all, you have to learn to look at it and find things that you do relate to. You know, you have to just kind of make the best of it. And I feel like a lot of people are really used to just making the best of things and setting aside your kind of full humanity and being like, well, but I do think – but I do like this part of it, you know – I do feel like the like the '90s really also just well fuck I it goes way before the '90s but um the '80s and '90s also felt like a particular era of like the workplace rom com mm-hmm. just like the workplace romantic dynamics of so many I mean Love Actually is a hot mess of it I also often fall asleep to Frasier, and that is truly just um, just a, a show about sexual harassment in the workplace. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, even thinking about, like, broadcast news, like, yes. just so many, so many charged romantic workplaces that I wish I hadn't maybe internalized in my formative years. Right. Like, did that have an impact on how how long we went before we started kind of cleaning out some of this abuse of power in the workplace that we're dealing with now, Mm. you know, like systemic Mm. in so many different industries. It's like we've watched a million movies where 
like you fall in love with your boss even though it's so wrong or whatever? How are you supposed to actually navigate being sexually harassed by your boss? I mean, not that people are that simple. <laughs> like, well, I saw it in movies, so it's good. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I do think that because of flaws in our social systems, um, we romanticize toxic relationships in a million different ways. And I am struggling to think of one that does a good job. <laughs> well, Lindy, you know what's coming out is more Hallmark holiday movies. They are still churning those out. Oh, my God. I can't wait. And I'm curious. Do Hallmark holiday movies qualify as rom-coms? No, absolutely not. If we take uh, as the foundational criteria of a rom-com that it has to have rom and com, uh, <laughs> Hallmark movies fail on both counts. They have neither rom nor com. Um, I mean... Many of them have no kissing whatsoever, merely the imp implication of kissing. Um, the jokes are non-existent to the point of being uh, they suck other jokes out of the air. <laughs> <laughs> they also usually require musical cues. I I've noticed that the jokes usually require like a like a little, you know, like signal to the audience what's going on. Well, and also just like hordes of women returning to farms and airports being closed. I just, yeah. yeah. You know, always a busy corporate woman returns from the big city to her home village for the Christmas uh, festival. <laughs> And learns that she was wrong about having ambition and what she should do is decorate the big Christmas tree. <laughs> and definitely get back with her high school boyfriend. Thousand percent. Who's now a widower. So he's okay. <laughs> it's fine. He didn't get a divorce. Don't worry. Um, and yeah, all that said, I love them. I love them all. They're absolutely incredible, fascinating pieces of human achievement. There's so many. <laughs> Um, and I and the non-holiday Hallmark movies are also good. I recently watched um, one called "You're Baking Me Crazy." Lunchtime. Love is in the air, and it smells like bacon. Are you crushing on bacon, dude? What's wrong with a little healthy competition? Natalie Hall, Michael Rady. You are one hundred percent in love with what you do. I am. Cook with love. I don't think that's going to be a problem. You're making me crazy. Only on Hallmark Channel. And it's about uh, two rival food trucks. And one of them is bacon-themed. And it's owned by a hot guy. And the other one, I forget what it is, but she Probably salads a, and yogurt. Uh, probably. Exactly. She's a lady. And then um, you think... That maybe there's going to be like a plot where the bacon truck puts her truck out of business. No, nope. They're just parked near each other. <laughs> and then, <laughs> like, there's no tension at all. Or there's no conflict. Ugh. I mean, and it's just like watching something from a parallel universe. Like, it's like, what? <laughs> why was this made? And they were right to do it because I love it. <laughs> and I, th I thank them. <laughs> Y'all can check out Lindy's book, Shit Actually, wherever books are sold. 
Plus, y'all, all of her old rewatch essays are still on Jezebel, just FYI. So look those up, too. You can also look us up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unladylike Media. You can also support Caroline and me directly by joining our Patreon. You'll get weekly bonus episodes, listener advice, and more at patreon.com slash unladylikemedia. Nora Ritchie is the senior producer of Unladylike. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. Shruti Marate transcribes our tape. Production help is from Camila Salazar. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing is by Andy Christens. Sound design and additional music is by Casey Holford and Andy Christens. Executive producers are Peter Clowney, Daisy Rosario, and Unladylike Media. This podcast was created by your hosts, Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin of Unladylike Media. Next week, we're talking big old boobs and body image with comedian Michelle Buteau. You know, I say in my special, I really want ass wiping money. Like I just want someone to wipe my ass if anything happens to me. And that is true. But I also would love someone to just like carry my tits around because Lord knows I'm done. You know what I mean? Like I used to name them like Muffy and Buffy, but now like I'm just going to call them like misogyny and like patriarchy. (laughs) You don't want to miss this episode. I'm so excited for it. I'm almost yelling. (laughs) Make sure you are subscribed to Unladylike. Find us in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, got a problem? Get unladylike. I feel it in my toes. (laughs) Christmas is all around us. Okay. Oh my God. Sorry. Actually, no, I'm not sorry. (laughs) Stitcher.